If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know I love nothing more than conversations that descend into the depths of the feminine underworld. And today's guest does too. She even wrote a book about it. Carly Mountain is a psychotherapist, a psychosexual somatic therapist, women's initiatory guide, breath worker, and writer. Her work has evolved over 20 years of working with sacred practice and space holding. Carly's book, Descent and Rising, Women's Stories and the Embodiment of the Inanna Myth, is out now. She lives in Sheffield, England, with her husband and two daughters. This conversation with Carly really impacted me. She speaks so powerfully about what it means for a woman to choose herself, her truth, and what sparks joy and aliveness in her, even if it's the most terrifying thing she can do. I know you'll be moved by this episode in all the right ways. So enjoy my conversation with Carly Mountain. Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, Within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello everybody. Oh, it's so nice to be back again for another week of the Sensual Alchemy School podcast and I have been looking forward to this conversation for some time. I'm chatting with Carly Mountain, and this woman has quite the delicious bio, I'm going to say. <laughs> Welcome, Carly. It's going to be so exciting <laughs> to you. chat with you today. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really beautiful to have you reach out. And uh, immediately, as as we were chatting, just before I hit record, there was there was this sense that um, the two of us could dive into some really meaty, juicy topics today. And um, it's always really nice when we, you're able to connect quite organically. I know we have a few, um, you know, we have some contacts out there and, and your work um, feels so complementary to the work that I do with women. And so Carly, we're going to go some places today, but before we do, my favorite thing to do is just to really support us to drop into our bodies and become even more present, even more available to whatever wants to come through. And so I'd love to invite you to share, oh, how are you showing up in your body today in this moment? And particularly, is there any loss that you can detect that is alive in you today mm. yeah thanks for that invitation it's always so good to have the invitation to drop into the body and um yeah I'm just in that that my daughters are now 13 and 14 mm -hmm. so they're both young women and I'm in perimenopause 
And so I guess what's present for me in loss at this time is the loss of their childhood, that transition, but also the loss of the, the phase of my womanhood that I've been in, that I feel like I'm moving into a new phase and how those two things are moving in tandem and the bittersweet nature of that. And it's really alive in my heart and my body at the moment. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Bittersweet. How evocative that is. I really, yeah, I really see you in that. It, it's, uh, it's big. So thank you for sharing that. And having daughters, I can relate, you know, it's quite, yeah. it's quite miraculous to walk this path, uh, walk our own path and then be witnessing they're unfolding alongside it and just yes. having them both inform each other and wow it's big yeah. it is it is and I think you know for me loss is part of my everyday life as a therapist because mm -hmm. even though um, my work is around sex and embodiment what I find is when people go in search of their pleasure and their embodiment and there's a deeper connection with their sensuality, what we always land in is the landscapes of grief. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, walking with loss is a part of my day-to-day -day existence in my own right. life and with the women that I work with. And I feel like that really brings me to gratitude every day and an awareness every day of how those two things live mm -hmm. alongside each other and vibrate yeah. within and around each other. Yeah. So gorgeously articulated. Thank you. And to that end, I wonder if there is a longing that you notice as you speak to this loss, what surfaces mm -hmm. for you? Mm. I think my longing and is part of my longing is for people to come into deeper intimacy with love and themselves and i i don't think we can do that in a purely romanticized way i think it always leads us into such different landscapes so yeah my longing for my daughters for myself for every person i sit with i suppose is to really dare to go towards mm -hmm. what we desire even if it takes us into some difficult and scary or challenging territory along the way Ooh, I'm up oh yeah I'm up for it <laughs> <laughs> just as you speak I just I'm just really in it at the moment mm. I'm really in just a very ah <sighs> It's, it is somewhat, I mean, there is dark night of the soul aspects to it. And, and absolutely I've been waiting the underworld for some time and I kind of will poke my head back up and then, whoop, nope. And, and it just feels like it's, it's almost like being in a washing machine at the moment, but there is a mm. lot of what, yeah, just what you shared then. I felt that into my bone marrow. And it's almost when you said the word dare, it's just immediately this, I'm aware of this dance that I'm playing where some days I feel so ripe for the dare mm. and I'm just so ready 
to just follow what it is that my body just longs for, yearns for. And then other days, the terror of that, the kind of upshot of that just seems so enormous that I just immediately retract. And so I'm really just so aware of this kind of blossom (laughs) and shrink, Mm. blossom and shrink. And, you know, I'm 40, just turned 40 this year. And I think that that's a a pivotal time in a woman's life. I'm hoping that you can shed some light on that because, (laughs) you know, I've been talking a lot about, yeah, I have really, really met um, some pretty big internal crises in the last Mm. Last few years, but really in the last year, and yet they feel like a crisis, and also just this, just incredible invitation mm. into something that I f- I see like a blurry vision <laughs> in the future of possibility, mm. uh, and it's very exciting and enticing. And so I love this word dare. I love it. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about what you have experienced in that place and if you have experienced kind of what I'm describing this uh blossom and shrink and and this move towards you describe it as the descent but I'd love to hear a bit more about yeah what what has that been like for you Yeah, I feel like what you're pointing to is that natural organic movement, that pendulation that happens inside of us when we go, we open towards something and we want, you know, we long towards something, the desire takes us towards something and then we touch an edge that is Mm -hmm. unknown or painful and then there's that going back in again and it feels like that dance is an unequivocal part of both our energy systems and and being fully alive. I don't think we can be always out there or always in. Rumi has this beautiful poem that's very well known, Bird's Wings, but he says, you know, your hand opens and closes and opens and closes. If it was always outstretched or always a fist, you would be paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Our greatest aliveness is in every open and close the two as beautifully balanced as bird's wings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet as human beings, I don't know how much we allow ourselves to do that open and close. I think we have an expectation and I think the world really requests that we are out there all the time. (laughs) Right. And so when we do come back in, or when we do descend inside, often there can be this real fear of, oh my God, I'm never going to come back out. I won't survive. I'm mm. going to lose everything. I'm going to X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so, yes, I have faced that in my own life many times. But I think for me, becoming a mother was a call to step much more deeply into my own authority right. to really stand by a different way of being than perhaps my parents had walked, than perhaps society might be telling me to walk. Um, you know, what were the things that I'd interjected in my life unknowingly 
that I'd taken on that now needed to be sloughed off. And so uh, after having my girls, I would say it wasn't immediate. Um, but I think that was one of the things that set me off on this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and so came, then I lost my grandma, um, which was a really big loss for me. And then there was an ending of a relationship with someone that was very, very dear to me. Mm-hmm. And those two things in very close succession just seemed to plummet me down into the underworld. And so came a stripping of lots of ideas and ideals that I had believed were true that I discovered were not true were Mm. actually wrapped up in in trauma and conditioning and yeah things that needed to be let go of in order to be the compost for some other awareness and some other sturdiness to grow right. inside of my own body, my own, um, the way that I was wanting to live for my yeah. daughters and for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm curious, how do you know when something is true for you? And how do you differentiate? that from perhaps you know a truth that had you had internalized as your own or or a script that you were living out that perhaps you kind of woke up one day and thought hold on I actually that doesn't feel like me how do you Carly kind of untangle yourself when it comes to knowing your own truths and knowing what to move on, knowing when to say this is the end of a truth because this feels more like a truth or knowing, oh, there's this feeling that I had that has sparked a real aliveness in me and yet is yeah like how do we know what is true and what is not and 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 when you know because there's a lot of sacrifice in following what we believe to be true and so i'm really just fascinated you know when when you found yourself in that place how did you know so i feel like this is so um, just to tell your listeners that I work with the anonymous and that's what my book is about descent and rising and I think one of the key things about the anonymous is that it invites us to hold many truths at once right. and often contradictory truths at once and I think this is what we are not so good at these days in that we want to say, this is the truth, this is Mm -hmm. my truth, and this is fixed. And in my experience, it's not like that. And I think that's what the dissent necessarily does to us. It rattles the cage of the things that we thought were fixed Mm -hmm. and basically loosens them. And it's very, very destabilizing because 
it opens up the question of, oh, well, who am I now? Right. If it's not true that. So let's take the example of abuse, because I think this comes up a lot in abusive relationships, Mm -hmm. because often inside of abusing relationships, there is love Mm -hmm. and there is abuse. How on earth can those two things sit beside one another? Well, they do all of the time. And so I think one of the things that we might have to hold is how can I be in love with someone who has abused me? And how is it true that someone who abuses me may be very loving towards me, but has also done things in that relationship that really hurt me? How do I consolidate those truths? And how do I not damn the love? How do I not get rid of everything and make everything dark in that relationship? How do I hold this complexity Mm -hmm. inside of the body of my experience and not try to obliterate or get over that complexity? Right. And so I think that the truth has movement. I don't think it's fixed. And that's what Inanna asks it. She asks us, the descent asks us to allow movement inside of what's true moment by moment. So Mm -hmm. I might be able to say to you, I'm in deep loss in this moment. And in 10 minutes more time, I might be experiencing a major joy. How is that true? Well, it is. Yeah. So I feel like, so how do we know? Because we feel it in that moment, but does it mean it will last, that knowing will last forever? No. Right. It doesn't. And we have to be prepared for that. (laughs) Yeah. And how do we be tactile to that? Mm. Because that's, that is to be present in my opinion and my experience, but it's a much more vulnerable place to be because what was our truth might have to shapeshift quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and everything that you're saying, I just, I mean, it lands with me just so beautifully, this idea of holding truths and having multiple truths and allowing them to coexist and finding, you know, being in relationship to the paradox. I mean, this is what essentially uh, I do with the grief and pleasure work. And, you know, when you speak about it in relationship to truth, there is, I mean, it's so risky, isn't it? It's like, (laughs) and I think this is the thing that, that terrifies us is it's like in theory, yes, there are multiple truths. And then if I act on one, yes, the challenge is being in that movement, as you say, and allowing that movement to continue to take you to that next place, to that next place, knowing that even if perhaps you followed a truth that felt so wildly right and and then all of a sudden it wasn't <laughs> well that's mm-hmm. going to move as well that's going to continue to move and shape shift and and so it is this this ride of trust yeah. and uh and it really you know in my experience it, we cannot we cannot be on that ride of trust unless we have decided at some point 
to listen to our body, to be in communion with our, with our felt senses, with our internal landscape. I mean, we can't do that from, you know, from our cognition alone. No, and if I can just interject, because something's coming up really strongly out of what you're saying, that um, we have to be, what I think I hear you saying is we have to be willing to make mistakes. It has to be messy. It has to be a holy mess. (laughs) And actually what I love is that in the Adam and Eve story, in one of the original gospels, it actually says that the moment when Eve eats the apple, and let's call that the apple of self-knowledge, the moment she takes that bite, it's, it was called a Felix culpa, which actually translates to a happy sin. <laughs> and it's, it was born out of this teaching that actually we have to be willing to make mistakes in order to come to maturity. And in a sense, I feel like those things that we're compelled to do, especially when we're compelled from an embodied place, yes, they might hold mistakes inside of them but also they always I've found hold so much learning and that's how I've grown and that's Mm. how I continue to grow by inadverted commas getting it wrong so in a sense we've got to still take the bite of the apple otherwise we're not fully alive right I mean oh can I put that in quotation marks and I probably will (laughs) we've just (laughs) take the bite of the apple otherwise we are not fully alive. Oh, I mean, just letting that land is like, I can feel my entire system respond to that Mm -hmm. with both just this anticipation and also, uh, yeah, that, that fear of the unknown. And that is how we know we're alive. And, um, there is so much beauty in that. And yeah, you just describe it so, so wonderfully. And I think that's a, a really um, a perfect segue into just deepening a little bit into your book, as you have mentioned, um, Descent and Rising, Women's Stories and the Embodiment of the Anonymous. And I just want to read a little passage here uh, from your website because it's just so rich and evocative. The heroine's journey is an erotic, mystical initiation that revivifies our place in the shape of things. The fodder of our descents provides the compost from which the richest fruits of our lives can grow. If only we can turn towards our pain and let it work in us. Right. (laughs) So you you are a woman of my heart, Carly, already. <laughs> that speaks to me of exactly what we've been, you know, discussing here, this living life directed by what sparks aliveness mm-hmm. and learning to live with the consequences of that and embracing that as life. Like this is the definition of what it is to be walking around breathing with a heartbeat. Otherwise we aren't alive. We are merely existing. So I want to know more about what it means to turn towards our pain and let it work 
in us. What do we, you know, if this is something that feels utterly terrifying to a woman perhaps at a fork in the road, on the precipice of change, you know, there's there's a longing, there's a so much loss, there is there is the the paradox, the multiple truths, and there's also a readiness and a willingness mm-hmm. to turn towards the pain. How do we start? <laughs> How do we do this without combusting or imploding or just melting? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we will combust and implode right, and okay. melt and, and then... <laughs> And then well, let's see what's left. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> this is the descent. Uh, <laughs> I do feel like we can't, we don't get away unscathed and yet we still choose to go. And perhaps it's when the cost of staying the same becomes more painful than the choosing to turn towards what it is that's calling for our attention. Um. And so there's a beautiful poem called The Cure that is coming to me at this moment, which I kind of feel like embodies this so beautifully. Um, We think we get over things. We don't get over things. Or say we get over the measles, but not a broken heart. We need to make that distinction. The things that become part of our experience never become less a part of our experience. How do I say it? The way to get over a life is to die. Short of that, we move with it, letting the pain be pain, not in the hope that it will vanish, but with the faith that it will fit in and find its place in the shape of things and then not be any less pain but be true to form because everything natural has an inherent shape and will flow towards it. That's what we're looking for. Not the end of a thing, but the shape of it. Hmm. Um, something is, oh, it's gone, but mm-hmm. what we're looking for is the shape of it. That's what being fully alive is not obliterating or getting over a single instant of it. It's allowing it to flow. And I've lost the last two lines of the poem, but you get the gist. It's that sense of actually whatever is taking us will take us. And Mm. the way that it takes us, the unique fingerprint of the way that happens in each of our lives is unique. But the pathway through it is archetypal. And that's what I love about mythology is that it gives us the archetypal, the universality Mm -hmm. of the path of initiation that we're talking about. But the uniqueness of how that shows up for each of us will be unique. And again, holding those two things together, I feel like is medicine because. Mm -hmm. We feel so alone, I think, when we're going through these initiations and actually discovering the anonymous for me was like, oh, oh, my God, there's a map and there's right. a map that's over 4000 years old. You mean someone knew about that all the way back then? 
And so it's yeah, not just me. Um, <laughs> it's not just me. Yeah. And so it's asking us now I've got the last line of the poem. Wisdom is seeing the shape of your life without obliterating or getting over a single instant of it. And mm. this is what the descent asks. It asks us to flow down into the embodied shape of our life, our body, our experience, and not obliterate any of it, but be with it all, turn towards it all, feel what hasn't been felt, feel what we've been exiling, pushing away, trying to get over, mm. um, and just hear it, feel it again. Yeah. And then it shows us the way. It shows mm -hmm. us the way forward. Um, all we have to really do is listen. The myth starts with Inanna opened her ear to the great below. It's like we just have to listen to what's below the busyness of our life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I suppose this is a beautiful place to continue to, if you will, share a little more about the Inanna myth. And, you know, I, I would say some of our listeners will be quite familiar and this might be new to others. And so, sure. yeah, Carly, some of the really poignant uh, parts of this particular heroine's journey and, and how what can we learn from Anana? Mm -hmm. Well, one of my favourite things about Anana is that she isn't dragged off to the underworld by some dark god. She actually chooses to go there herself. And so she is in agency. And I think how this translates into our real lives might be, yes, things happen that are out of our control, that are often the catalyst for our descent. But how we choose to be with that is where we are in agency. So it's a, both surrender and agency at the same time. And that's what Inanna embodies that is slightly different than, say, Persephone, who's dragged down there by Hades, for example. And um, she goes down to the underworld to be reunited with her sister, Erish Kagal, who's queen of the underworld. And what I love about this is, again, that it's the feminine going to be with the dark feminine. And so there is uh, embodiment inside of that that I think particularly for women is really alive. Mm -hmm. And to get to the underworld, she goes down through seven gates. And a woman, a writer called Sylvia Brinton Pereira, suggested that those gates were the seven chakra points in the body. And so we move down from the crown to the third eye, to the throat, to the heart, to the solar plexus, to the womb and pelvis, all the way down to the vulva and the roots. And so it is an embodied descent. It can't be done with our heads. That's a key teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a going down into the dark, into the unknown, to discover what has been in exile. Erish Kagal is in exile and she is um, both enraged, she is ostracized, she is wild, she is in pain. And so how does Erish Kagal as an embodiment of us some aspect of us. Who is she? How is she? What does she feel like? Um, and so Inanna goes down to meet her, but unfortunately, when she meets her, Erish Kagal's rage rises up and basically um, 
she stakes Inanna and leaves her on a hook to die in the underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I missed that was really key about that is that th- as she goes down through these seven chakra points, each one, something is removed. She's stripped on the way down into the underworld. Yeah. So these are the identities that we have to share, the roles, the ideas about ourselves, perhaps some relationships, a lot of relational change, I think, happens. Um, and then something dies. Something dies in the bottom of the underworld. But inside of that death, there is also a composting that then leads to new life to appear. Mm. So immediately after Erish Kagal stakes in Anna, she starts to make birthing sounds and starts to feel her body. She moans. She's like, oh, my neck. Oh, my heart. Oh, my back. You know, she's feeling her pain finally. Mm. Um, and so. Yeah. Meanwhile, above ground, Ninshaba, um, Inanna's handmaiden, has been, who is like her witness. It's like our prefrontal cortex that kind of stays above ground and stays online while this deep embodied process right. is happening. She's been banging the drum and going for help, and the sky gods have said, "No way, my daughter's gone down there. Sod her. She's you know broken the rules. She can stay down there. That's their vibe." <laughs> and um, so she runs to Enki as a final last ditch attempt and Enki is a soulful sky god he's a gardener he's not afraid to get his hands dirty he's in contact with that deep earthy feminine part of himself right. and he pulls the dirt out from underneath his fingernails and makes these two little creatures and he says to them go to the underworld like flies Erish Kagal will be birthing empathize with her is basically what he says and they do they go down there so as she's moaning they say, oh, your heart, oh, your, you know, they give Mm -hmm. her empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think this is how we can alchemize our grief, is that actually when we have a witness, when we be that witness, a story, a poem, a person, Mm -hmm. a group of, you know, a course, it helps us to alchemize that pain back into the flow of life again. Yes. And that's what happens in the story. She says, who are you moaning and groaning with me? You know, she's been alone. She hasn't had any empathy. She hasn't had any care. And she says, I'll give you a gift. And they say, we only want the corpse of Inanna. And so she gives them the food of life, the water of life. And Inanna rises and so begins the rising, which is a whole other part of the story. Yes. But, but, you know, as we rise, I think that is that's the new life that can come when we really do tend to our grief, when mm-hmm. we really do tend to our pain and dare to meet with it, even though it's painful after mm-hmm. the pain, something else emerges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's such a, though, it, the, the fact the story holds the darkness and this potential of new life is, yeah. is so um honest and it holds the hopelessness and the hope together right right yeah it really is just such a powerful myth and no matter how many times I hear it Mm. uh, it just reverberates (laughs) through my cells and something else kind of stands out 
for me. Yes. And I, yes, I think that's what happens, right? Yeah, you, you're yeah. you're in another point in the journey if this is if if you're in the descent or you're experiencing this kind of contraction and and little bit of a blossom and then back and it's like okay what else needs to go what am i hanging on to desperately trying to either mold into something else to meet me mm-hmm or fix mm. or change or just uh, because it feels it is synonymous with who you have always been. You yeah. know, what am I holding on to because that's the only way I've known how to define myself mm. are some of the questions <laughs> that I that mm. I've been really meeting myself and and it's uh yeah this this process of stripping back that you know that you've spoken to and really continuing to let go mm. it yeah it is deeply painful and yet along the way there is this immense sense of liberation each time you know mm. i think that's kind of what keeps I know I can speak for myself and and other women I've worked with is like along the way, each time something else goes, the immense grief that it just, you know, that is that is there to be felt in that is real and can be can be all consuming for a period. And yet each time mm-hmm. that that sense of, oh, the heart just cracking open that little bit more. You know the that flow and that creative essence just bubbling up that little bit more, and and this uh, just seeing the world almost brighter, and yeah. it it's like it flickers. <laughs> you know, it's not like one day you wake up and it's oh <laughs> I'm back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, I've kind of yeah. you know it's this flickering um, light of and and I'm, it's funny actually because I'm. I'm teaching a three-part event at the moment called Glimmer, and it really is about accessing these little flickers, these these glimmers in a very somatic sense. It's when we when we have been in the depths of great change and loss, and and we are doing, you know, we're in this process of not wanting to do things as we always have, but to feel our way forward in a new way. What are our life? life rafts you know what what does keep us just kind of with the process and um yes. yeah so we've been playing with exactly that it's just so fresh for me mm. and yeah i i'm wondering in your experience as a therapist too carly what have you with the women that you have kind of walked alongside i suppose mm. and uh, and their descent what are some of the moments that you either have witnessed being triumphant <laughs> and then and also i don't know i'm just kind of curious about some of what you see and and feel with women as they as they take this journey is like 
what are those moments that are just so worthy of celebration and holding on to and that kind of keeps them going and and how do you recognize them and how do you support them to just kind of have the stamina and the resilience and and all of those things to to choose to live fully alive instead of mm. that robot on autopilot you know mm. yeah yeah I feel like it's one of those things that when we get a taste for it, we want more, don't Mm. we? So in a sense, there's not a lot I have to do at that point, because if you dare to step over that threshold, then something pleasurable always emerges in my experience, even if that is just the pleasure of the relief of letting go, of holding back the grief, right? A good cry can be like, oh, thank God, I've been wanting that for so long, you know. Mm -hmm. So even release of grief can be pleasurable in a bizarre kind of way, obviously. But I do feel like the release is pleasurable. And when we know that, when we go there and we survive, Mm. I feel like our system starts to build a different kind of trust. And this is how we rewire the nervous system as well in the sense of when we discover, oh my God, I didn't die. I didn't die when I went to that place. Part of me might have died. Something died. Something got composted. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'm still breathing in and out. Then we start to discover a new safety inside of self and that taste of release, of relief, of pleasure perhaps that arises our system loves that. That is that mm-hmm. erotic current, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's that erotic juice starts to flow again, like in the story, the water of life, the shakti, the juissance, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It starts to flow and that carries us onwards. And really my job at that point is just to enjoy the moment with the person <laughs> yes. and also encourage them because I think there is a vulnerability in pleasure. Mm-hmm. In the sense of when we're open to pleasure, we're open to all things, right? right. And um, it is an opening up of the system. And at first, I do think that pendulation, that coming in and out is important because mm-hmm. our system, our energy system literally needs to learn how to contain more pleasure. That's right. How to contain more feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that... um that shimmer, that vibration, that mm-hmm. energy that you're naming um, with the with the work you're doing is, I think, part of that. It's like it's a, a flutter. There's a vulnerability. There's an aliveness. There's a pulsation inside it that that has its own flight, its own flow. And yeah, we have to take our time to get to know that and move with it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because timing is everything. Mm. Yeah. Pace and and our own individual pace yes. and timing and capacity, as you say, that that pendulating process, that calibration. Mm. There is often this. I and I wonder if you uh, have experienced this, but with my clients and personally, once we land in this place of a truth, whether or not that be. Um, you know, the, an ebb or a flow or how long that lasts. But when we land in this place of knowing, 
sometimes there can be this sense. And I think that, you know, the way that we are conditioned in uh, Western overculture as well is to kind of see what we want and go for it, right? There's that, boom, okay, now I know, therefore I must take these 10 steps to get there. And I mean, it's just, yeah, that is not how it works. It would be very lovely if we could just write a nice um, strategic process for this descent and for Mm. traversing the underworld and rising again. That would be beautiful. And also it would be wrong because that isn't that isn't the way that it works. And so I think it is so pertinent to really emphasize that once we have that that spark, we feel that glimmer, we we access this pulse, this current, and it intrigues us. And all of a sudden we have that lens of curiosity kind of propelling us gently forward, that that is to be on it that is just to be really gently tended to because it's precious it is so precious and so where there might be this drive to be like right i'm just going to blow up my life and because i want that or mm. or i'm going to hide forever because that's terrifying there is that that middle ground or there is that that um it, yeah deeply personal timing, pace, um, the qualities that we need to access within ourselves that really inform, okay, how how can I really honour this process as sacred and take my time <laughs> and walk with others who get me and feel me and who I trust to reflect that back to me? And, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned before, the body will begin to show you what is next yeah. if we do and I that? Feel, yeah, definitely. And I feel like something that my teacher, Kim Rosen, she gave me a nugget many times on, on my own descent and rising where that urgency that you're naming, the, the one that's like, I'm going to go and do that now. I have to do it now. She was. She gave me a really helpful nugget, and that was if there is a strong urgency inside, it, like an impulse that is like it's life or death if I don't do it now. Mm-hmm. She said, "Be suspicious about that," right? Because she said it's often coming out of an old trauma response. And so she said, if ever it feels urgent, life or death, to do something, pause, mm-hmm. because actually underneath that urgency there's something some vulnerability that we're often muscling over and it's not that there's not an impetus inside the urgencies inside of us but to take enough time to get really curious about what feels like it's going to be the end of the world if I don't act on this now Mm -hmm. I think can be a really useful thing as we rise because the urgency to either completely retract and go in and never come out again, or the one where we go flat out, both of them are coming out of some old wound in my experience. And I think what our rising teaches us is how do I resource myself? Mm-hmm. What needs to be sacrificed? Where do I need to pause? How do I do this at a tempo that is truly what right for my 
for me now rather mm -hmm. than being in this boom and bust kind of hyper yeah. hypo and it's yeah. like a, that process of integration of rising is so delicate as you name mm -hmm. and um and yeah, I think that's why it's, you know, Kim was my ninja on this journey. She was my witness and she had so much, she offered me so much holding that was invaluable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it can be really good to surround yourself with people who can go, hmm, why don't we have a cup of tea over that one? Right. Just take a breath for a moment and, and <sighs> see and see because yeah, solidarity is so important as we rise it's it's Truly. full of juice and it's really vulnerable isn't it it's um it it's really both. is it really is and I we can shelf that so often and yeah we you mentioned before this sense of and we were talking about this loneliness or, or believing that it's just you going through this yes. and we can so quickly discount um, moving towards, you know, connecting with others, whether or not that be because it is so vulnerable, it is frightening, or just because we're aware that, oh, that's taking energy that maybe I don't have and I'm just going to keep like doing my thing here. I'm just going to keep ruminating and I'm just going to put one, you know, one foot in front of the other. And the sheer relief that is available when we are held by others who have that capacity to hold us mm. is phenomenal mm. and we have to actually practice that we have to practice prioritizing putting ourselves in those positions or being or at least surrounding ourselves by people who can recognize when we need to be held and that's no easy yeah. feat you know that is that is not an easy thing to do and, and we can start by just kind of one person who do we trust but the mm. the medicine available in just yeah in, in just having that person to say shall we pause together shall we sit yeah. here and breathe together before you make this decision before you leap mm. before you jump let's just be is uh absolutely priceless in my experience and um just the gift of being able to offer that for others as well, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think I was born with a really strong self-sufficiency gene. And so yeah. <laughs> my tendency is to be like, yes, it's fine. I can do it. Da, da, da. And actually, it's really tempting as we rise sometimes to think, yes, yeah. if I'm being responsible, I'm da, da, da. But actually, mm -hmm. one of my main learnings of rising has been to ask for support when I need it. Yeah. And recognize that that is actually part of my strength is to say, I really need some help with this mm -hmm. or I really need you to sit with me in this. It's it's neither being completely independent nor completely collapsing into the other. How do we again, how do we move between support and independence and support? Because mm. we're relational beings, aren't we? We are in a web of ecosystem of interrelationship we are never singular actually yeah and so yeah it feels like to how am I in relationship just feels like such a, a question for me on an ongoing basis but right. especially in descent and rising when those key transitions in life how am I in relationship with myself with the mm -hmm. earth with others 
Yeah. 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 Where am I isolating myself when I just really do not need to be? Yes. I am very familiar with the with that gene as well. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think a lot of this audience just might be as well. So yeah. such wise words, Carly. And I just want to thank you for such a oh, just a rich conversation that I know will meet so many people where they're at. You know, just like the Inanna myth, your work and and the way that you have uh, been in relationship to this story and applied it to your own life and your own practice. It will, yeah, it will just be so, um, so beneficial to so many. And I can't wait to listen back to this episode again. Uh, but before we close today, please mm-hmm. do share what are you offering uh, to the world? We will. I will absolutely include the show in the show notes um, a link to purchase your book, uh, which I'm going to be getting stuck into right away. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, there is your book, Descent and Rising. And how else can people be supported by you, Carly? Where is your presence on the uh, in the world? Sure. So. As part of the launch of the book, I held an online retreat where I had eight wonderful guests come and we had conversations about the heroine's journey and descent and rising. And those are still available on my website and they're part of ongoing conversations as well. So there will be new ones. So all you need to do is go to carlymountain.com and sign up there and you get access to those. And they're such a great resource because they really do well, the feedback I've had is that they, they've really supported and are a great resource to go with the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep, I'm um, also, I hold women's courses and I'm holding an in-person retreat here in the UK in November, which is a five day. So it's going to be a really deep oh, embodied wow. retreat, which is just going to be lovely. And I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, I have new stuff coming out all the time. So the best way to get me is on my mailing list and then you will be up to date with whatever it is I'm offering next. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Oh, wow. In-person retreat. If only I were closer. That just sounds so, so beautiful. Carly, thank you again. It's just been a gift to spend this time with you. Um, and yeah, I really hope we can stay connected. And uh, to everybody listening, go and get yourself a copy of this book, sign up for the online retreat and dive into this beautiful resource. And um, yeah, may we descend and rise together. Thank you, Carly. Um, thank you so much, Kate. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leaper. I'd love to hear from you.